You're listening to the Watched It in the 80s podcast. everyone i'm damien and i'm andy and welcome back to watched it in the 80s a podcast where we discuss movies and tv from that great decade known as the 80s and this episode we're discussing rain man from 1988 directed by barry levinson and written by barry marrow and ron bass starring dustin hoffman tom cruise and valeria galino with me is my friend Andy. Welcome back, Andy. What have you been up to lately? It's been like forever. What is the last thing we did? Was that um, Blade Runner? That I guess so. Was did? that after, after Family Ties? Oh uh, my gosh, yeah. Family Ties was last summer. We might have done something okay. in between, but I uh, know we, I think I'm feeling Blade Runner earlier this season, I said season, earlier this year is, uh, is, um, is what I'm feeling, but I mean, it's been too long. What, uh, what's been going on? I think, uh, you have, you, you did dive into podcasting yourself a little bit, right? I did. I waded uh, into the waters of uh, podcasting a little bit. I, uh, started something called the don't get mad podcast. Um, so far we've uh, lasted about four episodes, uh, but uh, hopefully we'll get back into it soon. It's uh, we started talking about politics. Um, I am kind of a politics buff, and uh, the angle on the Don't Get Mad po- podcast is to have two people from mostly differing points of view about politics really discuss things and um, and not get mad about it. Um, yeah, so we've tried to do that, and there's, there's probably going to be more of that coming out soon. Great. Yeah, I listened to your first few episodes. Uh I think they were solely based on uh the war in Ukraine. Uh yeah. which was, you know, so riveting and it was good to hear your take on it and your co-host Steve, right? Yes. Yeah. After uh Ukraine, we took on um the oh, the uh, Roe v. Wade decision. Mm-hmm. That was a kind of a tough one to talk about. Um and uh, some other issue after that as well. I but think uh, I think you also tackled some pop culture things too, right? Because didn't yes, uh, you have the, an episode? Uh, it wasn't slap. solely on the slap, <laughs> the Will Smith, Chris Rock slap. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it's it's not solely politics. It's just kind of like what's uh, well. I mean, a lot of it is politics, but it's really what's trending in the world and modern culture. Which uh, yeah, I look forward to you guys getting back to that because I enjoyed what I listened to. Cool. And I definitely encourage you, which is part of the reason why we haven't recorded, probably, <laughs> because you, you were busy with that, among other things. Life happens. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, congratulations on starting that starting that podcast with Steve, and I hope you guys get going. Thank uh, you. Keep it, keep it going, because there's certainly, certainly tons of stuff out there to talk about. <laughs> it's just a matter of scheduling. Man, I uh, I appreciate that. Now, you are on your episode 32. This is 32. Uh, that's impressive, man. Yeah, and I also have 33 ready to go. Uh, I have a, I, I did take a hiatus, I guess you would say, this summer. I mean, life happens between vacations and this and that and the other thing, and, and I slowed down a lot. Uh, you know, I was really focused the first year on putting an episode out every two weeks, 
and it just uh, it just didn't happen. I went every three weeks and maybe once a once a month, I think, um, possibly even more between episodes. But you know what? I'm kind of getting the itch again, like you said, and I'm ready yeah. to get back into it. So I'm, I've been busting out a lot of episodes. I had two in October. I'm having two in November. I got plans for December, and then 2023 is like wide open, and it's great having people like you and everybody else. Uh, that have been with me and there's other people that haven't even been with me yet and lots of people are reaching out and want a podcast so I'm looking forward to it there's endless supply of 80s movies so it's just a matter of me getting my button gear and (laughs) and getting things going Um, but it's so much fun I forgot how much fun it was to be honest with you Um, just the last couple weeks I've really enjoyed it Um, but enough being said here as far as that let's get started with the plot synopsis you want to go ahead and read that? Okay, straight off of uh, IMDb, this is uh, the synopsis for Rain Man. After a selfish L.A. yuppie learns that his estranged father left a fortune to an autistic savant brother in Ohio that he didn't know existed, he absconds with his brother and sets out across the country hoping to gain a larger inheritance. The selfish L.A. yuppie Charlie Babbitt is played by Tom Cruise, and the autistic savant Raymond Babbitt is played by Dustin Hoffman. This is a road trip movie and an odd couple movie. It uses those two old formulas to great effect. Mm, Very good. And I don't know if if selfish is the best adjective or the only adjective you can use to describe Charlie at first. Uh, cause he's, he's not a nice person, uh, <laughs> at all. I you don't think, it, think. which we'll get into a little bit in our thoughts. And as we discuss, what, what were you going to say? You think it goes beyond selfish? I think it goes beyond selfish. Um, Maybe. yeah, for some reason, uh, I was just selfish was not a word that popped in my head. Um, but I guess as far as plot synopsis goes that that's probably uh, satisfactory enough, but, uh, yeah, he really irked me, which we'll get into, I guess a little later, but let's jump on. And move forward so we have time to discuss all that uh, with our cast notes. Um, I'm going to start off with the director, Barry Levinson. Uh, he was actually a well-known writer and director already. He His directing works were Diner, The Natural, Good Morning Vietnam, and Tin Man, most notably. Uh, he began writing in the early 70s, I'm sorry, writing in the 70s, and actually received an Oscar nomination for Diner, for his screenplay for Diner. So yeah, he he was known. Uh, He had a lot of good works under his belt. Those are some fantastic movies. And then you can just go ahead and put Rain Man right in there with the rest of them, if not above them. And uh, starring as Ray Babbitt is Dustin Hoffman. And Dustin Hoffman was basically a megastar at the time that he appeared in Rain Man. And uh, in particular, he was a critically respected megastar. He was acclaimed specifically, I think, for his acting skill, um, rather than not necessarily as like a, you know, a pop mass appeal guy, although he certainly (laughs) had plenty of popular success as well. Uh, But over the course of his career, he eventually got seven nominations for Best Actor. So this is uh, a guy who was really well respected. So his breakout role was starring in The Graduate in 1967. Uh, which the American Film Institute ranks as the 14th best movie of all time. Uh, And then uh, following that, he starred in the drama Midnight Cowboy, uh, the biopic Lenny about the comedian Lenny Bruce, a suspense thriller called Marathon Man, a political thriller about Watergate, All the President's Men, 
the drama called Kramer versus Kramer and uh, the comedy Tootsie, where he spends a lot of the movie dressed as a woman. Uh, and every one of those movies I just named, they're all movies in which he was nominated for Best Actor. Um, and in total, by the time he got to Rain Man, that was his 19th movie. And uh, for Rain Man, he receives his sixth nomination for Best Actor and uh, he wins his second Best Actor award. Wow. Yeah, that yeah, is... So he had uh, he was quite the guy. He's yeah. almost like a ringer to be in your movie if you hire Dustin Hoffman. Absolutely. And that's... Uh, ooh, yeah, he had done a lot more than Tom Cruise, who is the next guy I'm going to talk about. But yeah, that's impressive. I mean, Kramer versus Kramer, Tootsie, oh my gosh, Midnight Cowboy. And note the variety of the role. Oh, yeah. I think he was very into taking challenging roles. And of course, Rain Man is no exception to that. He's playing you know, an autistic savant when he's used to playing, you know, a, a leading man in a thriller or a, a guy in drag in a comedy. So he <laughs> took on a lot of different challenges. Yeah. So that was great that they were able to uh, uh, get him in this and, and he definitely delivered Tom Cruise, who played Charlie Babbitt. Uh, he began in 1981 with Endless Love and Taps. Uh, he had Losing It in 1982 had a breakout year in 83 with The Outsiders and Risky Business and All the Right Moves. He was also in Legend in 1985. Uh, and then uh, right before, well, Top Gun was 1986. And then he was in The Color of Money and Cocktail leading up to, actually, I think Color of Money might have been also 86 or 87. And uh, um, Cocktail leading up to this. So once again, Tom Cruise was also, uh, you know, someone who could have gotten top billing leading actor but everything from everything i see dustin hoffman was definitely the one that was going up for all the uh the leading actor nominations and uh the next member of the cast uh valeria galino who played susanna um her filmography is a little uh unusual she most of her career both before and after the movie is spent in italy uh, she started making movies in Italy. Her first role was called A Joke of Destiny in 1983. Her first starring role was in Little Flames in 1985. And she won a Golden Globe in 1985 for Best Breakthrough Actress. But I think that was an Italian award. Like, that's not at the Academy Awards. Hmm, okay. Uh, and then she won Best Actress at the Venice Film Festival in 1986 for something called Storia d'Amore. Uh, but all of these, so she's pretty well, at the time, she's pretty well respected in Italy, moves to Hollywood in 1988, and her first role, <laughs> kind of funny, is in Big Top Pee-wee, starring oh, wow. Pee-wee Herman, <laughs> and then uh, following that, she's cast in Rain Man, uh, so this is kind of, I guess, her second Hollywood movie. Yeah, and I think she did, I think she did very well in this. Uh, for, yeah. For, yeah, for uh, the role of that character, it's definitely a supporting role. And yeah, I, I don't think you would want another well-known actor slash actress playing that part. You'd probably want, well, obviously they wrote it as someone um, who, you know, who was foreign or Italian in this uh, case, because I th I'm pretty sure uh, that's what Charlie Babbitt uh, that's what he did for a living was to import at least foreign cars, but in this particular case, it was Italian cars. So yeah. I think 
not sure if that's what they're, that drove their casting. We need an Italian actress, but I know early on we saw her speaking Italian on the telephone to someone. So I uh, believe that I read originally the screenplay didn't have her part as necessarily being Italian. Oh, okay. They made her Italian because they wanted her in the movie and they figured uh, that would explain her Italian go. accent. Okay. Well, she, uh, she did a great job for what part she had. I know she was going for the meat of the movie. Yeah. But I enjoyed seeing her and what she was in. All right. Well, let's keep moving on here because there's a lot to dive into. Uh, we're going to go to awards. Uh, Rain Man took home four Oscars for uh, there for Best Picture, Best Actor in a Leading Role. Of course, that was Dustin Hoffman. Best Director, Best Screenplay Writing for the Screen, um, Ron Bass and Barry Marrow. It, it was also nominated for Best Cinematography, Best Art Direction, Best Filming, I'm sorry, Best Film Editing, and Best Music Original Score. Once again, Hans Zimmer, you know, one of those icons. <laughs> Let's get Hans Zimmer in there to have some good music for this, and, and that seems to work. As far as the Golden Globes, uh, it won for Best Picture Drama, and... For and I'm sorry, Anne Hoffman won Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture for a Drama, also nominated for Best Directing and Best Screenplay. Uh, and Rain Man also had a few BAFTA nominations for Best Editing, Best Screenplay, and Hoffman again for Best Actor. So definitely uh, recognized for the major awards. And then, of course, there's countless number of uh, lesser awards, which I typically don't list, but uh, it was it was a very decorated film. All right, you want to move on to overall thoughts, Andy? You want to go ahead and uh, just talk about what uh, what you thought of Rain Man? Sure. Um, I was uh, the one who suggested this movie. At least I think I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was on my list, being a being yes. a uh, you know, an, an Academy Award winning film, but definitely, but you picked it. So there you go. <laughs> uh, and the um, reasons, a couple of reasons. First, I love to look at those lists, the two lists I go to, the American Film Institute's list of 100 best movies of all time. This wasn't on that list. It's not quite acclaimed enough for that, uh, but it certainly was on the best picture, the list of uh, best picture Academy Award winners. Um, I like to go down that list. Uh, we only have so much time to spend watching movies, so I like to pick <laughs> out the ones that somebody has decided are worth watching. That's a good um, idea. <laughs> and uh, the other, another reason I felt somewhat connected to this in a couple of ways. I remember it from when I was little. Um, this movie was kind of a phenomenon back in 1988. Uh, I would have been 11 years old, and I remember walking around the recess yard at my grade school and uh, talking with my friends and imitating Rain Man. And everybody thought it was very funny until one of my classmates mentioned that his younger brother was autistic and I felt like kind of a jerk. Uh, And so uh, that led to uh, a good conversation. Um, And this brings me to another very important thing about Rain Man. It it, uh, introduced autism to much of the world. That was a word most people had never heard before Rain Man came out. And uh, after the movie was out, most people had had some understanding of what autism was. And in some respects, unfortunately, their understanding was incorrect. Um, and this movie is in some circles lauded for its portrayal of people with disabilities. Um, at, a, at the same time, it receives a fair amount of criticism because um, it presented some incorrect understandings of autism. For one thing, it gave me, and I think a lot of people, the impression that autistic people had superpowers. 
Um, but it confuses savant syndrome with autism and kind of presents them as the same thing. But, um, but anyway, uh, I think it is important because it has a, a main character with a disability that had been previously unknown. Fast forward to now, uh, about 35 years later, and I happen to have an autistic child myself. Um, and uh, my son's symptoms are not nearly as severe or obvious as Raymond Babbitt's. But watching the movie, I can see that there are certain similarities, um, enough so that I was watching Rain Man and I showed it to each of my other children because I thought it might be helpful for them in mm -hmm. understanding their little brother. And both of us saw some of the similarities, the rigidity about routines, the verbal tics and the rocking back and forth, um, the way he carries out a notebook and wants to like write in it and note little things from time to time, and uh, just the general inability to understand social interactions. Um, so I enjoyed the movie for that. Uh, for that connection to it. And another thing that sort of intrigues me about it is um, its place in Tom Cruise's career. Um, because Tom Cruise, I think the thing that made him a star was Top Gun. And, uh, but I remember even as a kid watching Top Gun and thinking, boy, Tom Cruise isn't really that great an actor. I mean, <laughs> Top, Gun, <laughs> Top Gun was more about the airplanes and the music and Kelly McGillis is really pretty. And, you know, it's, it's all about that. Uh, it's the spectacle. But this is, you know, here, Tom Cruise, and you mentioned Cocktail, which is largely considered a disaster. Um, <laughs> but then he makes this movie where Tom Cruise is acting really well. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think this is one of those interesting cases where like the guy becomes a star and now he's okay. And now he thinks, okay, let's try to take like a serious acting movie and like, like, let's really learn how to act. And they bring in Dustin Hoffman and there's kind of a generational thing, which you see uh, between actors sometimes that, you know, the older actor comes along and it, it kind of elevates everybody else's level of performance. Um, and uh, it's a great performance from both of them. Um, it's, it is, as you said, it's the classic formula, a road trip, an odd couple. Um, I guess that was in the, uh, that was in the synopsis yeah. in the synopsis. Uh, but it's funny how those formulas can really work. I mean, in some cases they come across as really old and, and, uh, formulaic, but it works great here because they have a whole new twist on it. And because basically the strength of the acting performance is, is, uh, terrific. So I'm curious, uh, 35 you mentioned 35 years later, you know, you, you have an autistic child yourself. Uh, how does it hold up as far as to you? How does it hold up to you as far as representing autism, which I know it's just a certain branch of autism. Uh, like you mentioned, your son has different symptoms and he's not the savant, but um, how do you think it holds up though, as far as portraying autistic people? I'm just curious personally. Yeah, no, that's a, a great question. Um, I think, Technically, it doesn't hold up. <laughs> it holds up well enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, what I sort of think about it is they definitely got some things wrong. Um, but I mean, the symptoms of autism vary widely, you mm -hmm. know, from in, in every different case. And the other thing is, I just really respect it for beginning the conversation, mm -hmm. uh, you know, at that time, not nearly as much was known about autism. And so if they got a few details wrong, and I, I don't uh, certainly don't have any, I don't have much of an issue with that because they had the nerve to address something 
And usually when you're going to, you know, begin a conversation, it, it usually there's some imperfections in it and then people refine their knowledge about it. So um, I think it was a, it was a good thing, which of course at the time as a kid, I did not fully appreciate. Um, but yeah, I think of like my classmate who had an autistic younger brother, you know, him watching Rain Man. I mean, some sort of acknowledgement that autism, autism is a thing and there are people like that in the world um and i had exactly the same experience when i was sitting there watching it with um with my other kids that it was so nice to see like okay it's not just that we're failing to deal with our brother properly it's that there's this thing called autism which makes people behave differently and think differently and feel differently and um you know it, it and it's it's not just that we're messed up or something. This is like a, a difficult thing to figure out. So I loved it, actually. Yeah. Um, I was, <clears throat> I was discussing, uh, just a few hours ago, I was discussing, you know, talking about it with my wife a little bit. And, uh, you know, I felt that, because I asked her the same thing. Well, actually, I told her. I, th I think it, it, hold, it still holds up because... While there's humor, it certainly doesn't make autism autism funny, and that had a lot to do with, of course, Barry Levinson and Dustin Hoffman. And I certainly don't think their intentions were to make it funny. I mean, there was some little humorous points, but I think that it was definitely a serious drama. And like you said, it was introducing autism, as far as I can tell, it was introducing autism you know, to the world. I don't know if it was for the first time. I don't know if there was any other movies out there, but, um, this was probably the most significant, uh, at least in that era. And, uh, yeah, over, overall, I, I don't have the personal ties as you do, um, to it. Uh, I, I did see this movie, um, not in its entirety a long time ago. So this was actually the first time I got to sit down and watch it in its entirety. And of course, I'm not going to argue with it. It was an Oscar Oscar winning film. And I, uh, I think it definitely deserved it. it I, I enjoyed it. The Charlie Babbitt character irritated me, but I kind of had an idea that he was going to, you know, come around by the end. So I just let it go. I can understand somebody who might have no knowledge at all of this watching it for the first time might have a hard time getting past the whole Charlie Babbitt character because at times he's flat out mean to his brother. Uh, yeah. At least I thought so. Uh, and at certain times, but that's all part of his, his story arc. But it, that was just like the first thing that popped in my head. It's like, damn, he's being so mean to him. <laughs> you know, it what? really drives me crazy. Uh, and I know it's all part of the story, but um, not that I, I was saying like, that's my only problem with this movie because I know it was part of the story. But overall, I loved it, you know, beginning to end. Of course, I'm not going to argue with anything. Off, uh, Dustin Hoffman was fantastic. Cruz was fantastic. Uh, I think the story was great. Like we mentioned before, the whole odd couple, the road trip. Uh, the bonding, you know, two two brothers. I don't want to say getting to know each other because it was so one-sided, uh, you know, because Dustin Hoffman's character, um, Ra Raymond, is, is he's in his own world. So he has, I think it was mentioned at some point, Vern, who I don't know if he's a, he was the custodian or, or he, he worked at the, at the, at the, he worked at the home where Rayman was. Walbrook. At Walbrook. Uh, Walbrook? I Walbrook, think so. yeah, I'm sorry. It's a shame I forgot that, and I just watched it not too long ago. Um, but he, uh, you know, he mentioned that something like he doesn't, 
you know, people don't matter too much to him, I think, and I'm paraphrasing, but he says basically that there's just not that personal attachment. So yeah. long story short, though, you know, it was an odd couple, but the only person that was going to get anything out of this. And I don't I don't want to say that because I'm sure if you want to think about it, yes, in, in his own way, Rain Man did get something out of this because he got to know Charlie again who he knew when he was younger, which I won't get into because we're going to talk about that in our scenes. But anyway, long story short, I love the movie. <laughs> I loved it. Didn't have the personal attachments that you did, but I'm, I'm not going to argue with any of your points. I'm not going to argue that it, it was a flawed movie at all. It was a fantastic movie, and the acting was great, and I love it. And I'm so glad that you picked it, and I'm so glad that I got to visit it, and I'm so glad that we get to talk about some of the scenes right now. Who's uh, who's gonna go first on the scenes? Should it be me? Well, um, if you want to go chronologically, <laughs> uh, I think I'm first. Okay. Uh, so why don't we go there? Um, my first one that I want to talk about is a little bit into the movie, uh, and we can jump around a little bit if we need to talk about character development or something like that, or when characters were introduced. I'm totally fine with that. But anyway, um, when they uh, when Charlie has to uh, go back to Los Angeles after going to his father's funeral. He, uh, can we say kidnapped? Uh, are you willing to go and say he that he kidnapped Ray? Yeah. Yeah, I okay. think so. <laughs> I think so, too. Uh, he basically kidnapped Ray, holding him for ransom, for lack of a better term. But, um, and, and they had to naturally, <clears throat> excuse me, fly back to Los Angeles. And... Uh, Ray gets really, really nervous when he wants to get uh, Raymond, I should say, not Ray. Raymond really gets gets very nervous when they want to board the plane. Now, I, I can't remember if their original plane is Southwest or not, and I watched it a second time and I didn't catch it, but uh, he sees the plane outside and, and he just starts his, you know, his no, you know, no, he doesn't want to get on, oh. and Charlie's trying to placate him. Uh, trying to say, you want to pick another airline? We can pick another airline. You know, let's go with American. And Ray starts uh, quoting these statistics of the last time that that particular airtime had a plane cra- uh, airline had a plane crash. How many how many casualties there were, if there were any. Um, but the whole gist of it is like Ray doesn't want to fly. And then he says he goes with Delta. How about Delta? How about Continental? And Ray keeps like quoting all these statistics. And then finally he says, you know, well, you know, what, what airline, every plane crashes, every airline has a crash every, you know, every now and again. And uh, he says, not Qantas, which unfortunately Qantas flies out of Melbourne, <laughs> Australia. So, of course, Charlie's having no bit of that. And, of course, he's getting so, so frustrated. And at this point, Charlie just wants to grab him and put him on the plane. Now, this is early in the movie when Charlie, again, does not understand Raymond at all. Even though he's been warned, he's been was warned by Doctor Bruner, uh, a little bit by Vern back at the home at Walbrook, and just wants to get him on the airplane. And that's like the first time that we actually see what happens when Ray gets Raymond gets forced to do something. He actually started shrieking. Uh, we hadn't seen it at this point. We've seen him get nervous. Of course, he does the who's on first when he's nervous. We've seen that a lot. Yeah. You know, he does his pacing back and forth. He says, no, no. You know, he has his tics. He has, you know, the different things we've seen at this point. But this is the first time we've actually seen him, you know, physically get loud, uh, cause lots of attention. Um, and and deservedly so. I mean, he's being forced to do something he doesn't want to do. And as someone with autism, he has no other way to cope with it. 
so that's just what he does and um you know charlie has to has to kind of reel him in a little bit and say okay we're not gonna fly we'll drive you know even though he doesn't want to (laughs) he knows it's gonna take three days to get there as opposed to to three hours but uh i really enjoyed uh this scene because we're number one we actually get to see what happens in this case when raymond gets pushed to the limit uh, and also number two is that this actually gives a good reason why that they have to take the road trip and it gives them the opportunity that they're going to spend the next three to six days in the car, which has its own hiccups <laughs> as we talk, as we'll talk about. But, um, yeah, this, uh, this was the first scene that stuck out to me. Uh, what, did you have anything you want to say about the, about it? No, I, well, uh, I mean, that's exactly it, uh, that, I think it takes patience mm-hmm. and empathy to try to be understanding like toward a person who, you know, as we understand it, is just not making logical sense. Mm-hmm. And Charlie Babbitt, who's entirely self-centered, hasn't developed any of that. And he's been and he was called out before this at the hotel in Cincinnati. He was called out by um Susanna as being a user uh she finally got fed up with him basically uh, the the last straw was the way he was treating Raymond um you know after they had their uh, you know they had their sexual interlude and <laughs> and Raymond kind of barged in on it which is a, it could be another scene of its own but anyway yeah. uh, I didn't want to put that in there but anyway um and Charlie didn't handle that properly and uh his you know his better half, if you will, uh, Susanna said that was it. You're a user. You use me. You use everyone. You're using Raymond. Um, so yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, maybe that was part of it when I said selfish doesn't describe him that much. He he doesn't only think of himself, but I think in a way he he abuses his relationships with other people to get what he wants, which may be another way of of being selfish. But of course, at this point, we know that the only reason right now that he has Raymond is because he wants half of his inheritance uh, at this point. So, and he's worried about his business. He wants to get back to Los Angeles. So he, he, like you said, he has no uh, empathy or sympathy right now, but maybe he's slowly understanding it a little bit, but. Well, one of the, um, one of the prophetic lines that Dr. Bruner says to him, I think he says something like this at two different points in the movie, but the early in the movie he says, you don't understand the degree of Raymond's disability. And uh, and I think that's, I don't know, I think that's a big thing with autism. That mm. like, it sure looks like the guy can walk around. He, he's using words. He's, you know, it, it, he's stringing sentences together. You know, why don't I just explain to him about how airline travel is safe and then mm-hmm. he'll just get on the plane. I'll just, you know, maybe if I just put my foot down, you know, and I make him get on. But but uh, Charlie Babbitt does not understand the degree of the disability because it's not immediately obvious unless you spend an extended period of time with uh, with Raymond. Yeah, which as as the movie progresses, we do uh, we do see that a little bit, but at least up until this point. Uh, up until this right. point, it uh, it was just not there. 
Uh, and it actually gets at times a little worse on their road trip, which leads to your point, right? Yes, which uh, <laughs> one of my favorite scenes was Charlie flipping out at Ray after they get back on the road. I think this is already not only did they have to drive, then they had to get off the highway because mm. there was an accident on the highway. Um, and, you know, the whole movie, I think, is the story of the transformation of Charlie Babbitt. And uh, this is kind of the low point where they're driving along and uh, Ray has refused to travel on the highway. He refused to go out in the rain. He'll only eat certain foods if they're served in a certain way with toothpicks. And it has to be uh, eight fish sticks. Actually, I guess that comes later. Um, <laughs> so then, so a couple of things stood out to me. So Ray's talking about how he's an excellent driver and uh, and then he reaches over and grabs the wheel for, mm. while Charlie's driving and they're cruising down the highway and Charlie flips out. And one thing I noticed was there's this little smile like Raymond gives this like naughty little smile. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. As Charlie is yelling at him. I didn't catch it. And uh, I caught it because I've seen that. Oh. Um, and it looks like. The kid, the kid, <laughs> it looks like the person is a complete um, smart aleck because mm -hmm. right? he's in trouble and or he's done something clearly wrong and he's smiling at you. Um, but and, and then this leads to eventually, um, you know, uh, Charlie steps out of the car and st just starts screaming and cursing. But. As as I've found that one of the most infuriating characteristics or potentially infuriating characteristics of autism is that the this inability to read other people's emotions that, um, you know, with most people or with most children, uh, children to a lesser extent, they have to learn some of this. Every child has to learn to read emotions, but they usually pick it up. Autistic people often really don't. Um, Boy, I hope I'm getting this right because I, 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 you know, every time I talk about autism, I, you know, I have even though I have a son who's diagnosed with autism, I, I'm still, you know, there are people that study this professionally. So mm -hmm. I'll offer the caveat that this, this is my experience of it. In mind, there you go, your experience <laughs> that uh, it can be really infuriating, but like most people. Um, if you you have ways of indicating that you're angry and you expect the other person to respond to it, that maybe they'll back off or they'll fire back or they'll do something to acknowledge that anger. But an autistic person might not even be aware that you're angry at all. And so you're screaming your head off and they smile. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, and. I, at least in my now, when I say screaming my head off, I mean, obviously, that's not plan A. Mm -hmm. It's just these low moments of, you know, before you realize what's happening, because it sure looks like, you know, the person is just a smart aleck, which is exactly the way that Charlie's reading it with um, Raymond. He says, yeah, so Charlie, so this is, yeah, I mean, I, I identify with this experience. Charlie mm -hmm. loses it and he says, I know you hear me. You're not fooling me with this bleep for a second, Ray. Did you effing hear what I said? Shut up. And I think he also says, oh, he also says, you know what I think? I think this autism is a bunch of BS because you can't tell me that you're not in there somewhere. Um, and so that's like, he's they're putting the words 
in Charlie Babbitt's mouth of somebody who has no experience of what a disability like autism is that like, this is a pile of BS, just straighten up, listen to me. And if I just scream at you enough, it's going to fix it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's, I mean, obviously that's horrible. And as, as everybody who has prolonged contact with an autism, with an autistic person, we have to learn to silence that voice as quickly as possible. Um, but it's there. I mean, there's, and so when you start and nobody has told you that the person is autistic or you don't know what autism is, it can very, I don't, that's an experience that unfortunately mm -hmm. I will acknowledge I, I, I had some uh, identification with, definitely. Yeah, that one particular line that you just brought up really stuck out to me was when he, when Charlie was yelling at him from outside the car saying, I know you're, I know you're in there somewhere, right. you know, it's like, okay. <laughs> so he has no idea what he's dealing with. Right. Uh, and I think this is, um, was that before they stopped at that small town and he went to the doctor's office? I can't remember if it was before or after. Yes, it was. Before. I think it was before. Because I think it was funny that while they're on their road trip, he's going to now get some medical advice on what he's dealing with. Um, you know, Dr. Bruner did try to tell you. but and, and that does start to put it in his head, because one of the things the doctor said specifically is, look, he's not acting like this to piss you off. Yeah. Like, so the doctor is, well, it sure feels like he's acting like this to piss me off. Um, but, but he's not. Yeah, which I guess at that point that... Um... That probably started a little bit of Charlie's transformation, just that little, um, re well, I don't want to say reassurance, because um, he had no idea, but just that other that other person that had to tell him on the road trip, you know, that this is what's going on with your brother, and yeah. this is kind of how, even though that he was a, by by no means a, a psychologist at all, that uh, and he was very inexperienced with it. This is just what he had read about, and. That might have helped Charlie a little bit. Gosh, yeah, but that that blow up, all, all which started all over underwear. Yes. Um, well, it was the, he grabbed the wheel, and then there was the underwear yeah, shortly after yeah. that. He wow. has the wrong underwear, and, and then you what? forgot. Then you forgot it ended with uh, Charlie throwing the underwear out on the road, <laughs> and yeah. Rain Man going, "Uh oh." <laughs> Underwear's definitely on the um, road. But yeah, no, that was. Uh, that was a pretty significant uh, turning. I don't know if you call it the turning point. It was it was Charlie's I'd, low. I'd call it the low point. Yeah, the I mean, low point. Is, is, it's, it's going to yeah. establish how far he has to travel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gosh, but he was just, and that was one of the things that I told you was just, I had such a hard time with, you know, going through this. I knew how it was going to end, but I just had a hard time going through it because I'm like, man, he's being such you know, yeah. such, such an ass to his brother. And he's just, this is not how you handle things. Yeah, and I know has... we're 35 years after the fact and, and we're all, even if, well, I mean, you're educated more cause you actually deal with autism every day, but you know, most of us at least know how to deal with it in society. Uh, as we come across, uh, you hope as you come across it. Um, and this is not how you deal with it. You and know, and so. he doesn't even have, I mean, you right. would get some experience even just raising normal children because we know normal children aren't necessarily rational. They don't make sense. They have weird things that they insist on, but he's got no kids. He's got right. no long-term it's Yeah, it's, it's magnified because of the type of person he is. He's bitter. 
uh, still angry, uh, a lot of lot of father issues, certainly uh, dealing with grief in some way, yeah. dealing with the news that he has a brother that he never knew about. So he, Charlie's going through a lot. Not that I'm defending him, but Charlie's going through a lot. <laughs> He has he has no tools to deal with this situation. And he's <laughs> he does failing. The only thing driving him is hopefully getting half of that three million dollars. Um, which, uh, if you're good, I'm gonna move on to my next one. Sounds good. All right, it's a little later. Um, down on their uh, further down on their road trip, uh, Charlie gets the great idea to finally uh, hone some of uh, Raymond's skills. You know, he, he's he's a genius as far as it comes to math. Uh, he sees numbers uh, just just quickly. I think when they were when the doctor was testing him, you know, the the high the high number multiplications, thousands, I forget what it was. And he was just doing instantly. And I think Charlie asked him later, you know, how, how, how do you do that? And he says, I see it. OK. Um, and then he, he gets this great idea. To oh, and of course his memorization skills, uh, he has that ab- ability as well. I don't know how much that plays into card counting. Um, so, but he he actually tries to get him to uh, to learn how to count cards, and and their test run in that little hick town past Vegas because they already drove through Vegas. Uh, the, his test run with the deck of cards seemed to work, so he decided he he's going to go because his business is in serious trouble. We haven't really talked too much about that, but you know he imports foreign cars and I guess resells them. Uh, but he was having all these issues with uh, you know EPA standards, and and he he had to just end up putting more money into these cars than he even had, and he it seemed like he had a loan out that he couldn't pay so he couldn't sell the cars to pay the loan off and he was just his business was falling apart so he really needed this money so at this point he was desperate and decided to go to Vegas uh with his brother and they get all dressed up and I love the shot when they're going in the casino and you have that first person view as they're walking up to the blackjack dealer and they just get to playing, and everything's fantastic. You know, uh, Ray, uh, Ray's uh, Raymond's uh, skills are working. Even though I think um, you hear the security guard uh, in, in the security room, they mentioned something about uh, nobody on earth can count a was it a six card shoe or no six, six deck, deck shoe six deck shoe, which I imagine it's six decks of cards. I don't know why it's referred to as a shoe. I don't know. I'm not a gambler. I don't know anything about cards, but yeah, uh, they stick them all together. And that's what makes it a shoe. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I know it's a combination, you know, it's six decks, yeah. you know, whatever, but anyway, no one on earth can do this as far as they know, but Raymond can with his, you know, his, uh, his ability, um, and they make eighty, what, like eighty-five thousand dollars more than more than they need. A little bit more than they need. Their room is comped. You know, everything works out fine. The casino's on to them. Uh, you know, but they go upstairs. That that's just the part of it uh, that I like. But there's a part where they go upstairs. Oh, I missed a part. I miss when uh, Raymond starts talking with uh, the hooker at the bar. <laughs> And eventually she wants no no part of him because his carrying on and eventually asked her about her prescription drugs. 
what prescription drug she's on. She wants no part of it. Says they have a date at 10 o'clock or something just basically to blow him off when he says what time's the date. <clears throat> but Raymond's convinced, I think, that he has a date. And <laughs> and he has to dance for it. I think Charlie mentioned something about jan- dancing at the date. So there's this moment when Charlie ends up start uh, teaching his brother Raymond how to dance. And I think that's just such a special moment in the movie. And there's there's just that little quiet bonding between them. And they're just standing there, and he's teaching him how to dance. And at the very end, he wants to he wants to give him a hug. He's happy for his brother. Because he did well in the dancing lessons, and he wants to give him a hug, and he even asks him, "Can I give you a hug?" And of course, Raymond says, "Yeah," but like Charlie, like Charlie said earlier, he could be answering a question from a half hour ago. Yeah. Um, so, and then he leans in to give him a hug, and Raymond wants no part of it. He he freaks out a little bit, like holds his ear, taps his head, or something, and and that really hurts Charlie. Uh, I think I saw it as actually hurting him because I think by this point in the movie. Um, which I know your next scene is actually something a little bit before this. So that yeah. kind of starts it. So I won't try to, I won't try to step on that at all. But at this part in the movie, um, I think the bond is already taken place. They're probably about what, four or five days into this road trip. And Charlie actually had, uh, he apologized to Ray, uh, cause there was a moment when he got angry at him when he walked away downstairs at the casino and he apologized to him which I don't think that's anything we really saw from Charlie. It was a sincere apology, I think. Right. And he's upset because Raymond doesn't seem to respond to the apology. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, well, that's why I mentioned that, that, that Charlie is actually, he's, you can tell he's hurt. You know, he's emotionally hurt because he is not getting like that response back. Like when you want to hug somebody, you know, yeah, whatever. You just have a good moment with someone. Oh, let's give you a hug. And you go ahead and hug him. And you just want that reciprocate, talk, reciprocation, and Charlie didn't get it. And, you know, I kind of felt for Charlie at that moment. Like I said, he was in the process of changing already, and and you really kind of felt for him a little bit. Um, At least I did. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to, uh, wanted to add to that. Yeah, I, um, I guess I'll sort of say it's, he has started to uh you know as Susanna pointed out when she stormed off that you use people mm-hmm. um as you mentioned um that up until uh about halfway through the movie he sees people only in terms of their value to him he doesn't mm-hmm. really value other people mm-hmm. um and can i use that as a segue into another uh another scene where i think he uh where I think that begins. Um, uh, or are you, yeah, you, sure. No, the, the only other thing, and it just popped in ahead. my head, the last thing I wanted to mention in the hotel, uh, the, that the whole Vegas scene was, I thought it was really sweet when Susanna came back and then she had those moments with, uh, with Charlie, uh, with uh, Raymond. Uh, what did you she, think about her kissing Raymond? I, I thought it was um, a bit much. Were you okay with it? I know she meant well. I, I'm I, gonna say I'm okay with it because she meant well, but yes, okay. I hmm. did you enjoy watching no. it? <laughs> what kind well, of I questions mean, that? I well, mean, what no, I, what I, I mean thought, is, well, I really like the Susanna character as part of the movie. I mean, I, like, I mean, <laughs> that's, it, 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 yeah, that's it was fine, and I thought it was sweet because okay. And again, I don't believe in one second he even understood what a date was. He didn't know what a hooker was. 
you know, he he, he does he, that that Rayman just doesn't understand. He doesn't he doesn't get it the way everyone else gets it. He's just in a different world. It just means something. It doesn't mean anything. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't want to speak for it and go into a whole you know dive of like, well, autism and everything. You know, we don't have we, we don't have to do that. But I'm just saying, as far as what we know, you know, people don't mean much to him. So I don't think that whole personal male female connection means anything to him. But I just thought it was a sweet moment them dancing in the elevator and okay, well maybe the kissing was a step too far, but I don't, you know. I don't I, that know. was my thought when I said. <laughs> when I said I'll, I'll let you, uh, you know, I, if you really want to nitpick it. <laughs> I thought that was a rare misstep in the writing of the movie. Because okay. I, as okay. I was watching, and I would say movie. I was, I, I would say I would go on the record not to stay in the middle. Uh, that. I was okay with it because I thought okay. it was a sweet moment. So there you go. I kind of cringed. It was okay. Yeah. yeah, I felt like I was like, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it felt. I guess that's all I need to say. But I cringed a little it bit. It was better I than if he would have well. slept with a hooker. <laughs> I think then. Oh yeah, I would have cringed a lot more if yeah. that had. Um, then but anyway, like... now that was the only part I wanted to add to my whole Vegas. Uh, you know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas <laughs> moment. So, uh, and he gets to drive the car a little bit, which was cool. So yeah. anyway, um, but no, we can go ahead and segue to your next one. So, um, as you know, the stuff that you're talking about shows that Charlie Babbitt is actually starting to value other people. Um, and one of my favorite scenes was what I thought was the first indication that that was starting to happen. And it was back at the big eight motel where Ray is brushing his teeth and Charlie's making fun of him, saying that he's acting like an idiot. Um, and this is probably not that long after the whole underwear incident on the highway or on the road. And uh, and Ray laughs, <laughs> we get, you know, through, which is just going to make Charlie even more angry. And Charlie says, you think that's funny? And Ray says, funny Rain Man, funny teeth. And then Charlie stops because he begins to suspect that Raymond was the Rain Man who used to come and sing to him when he was scared as a child Mm -hmm. um and in this scene at this moment you know charlie begins to suspect that maybe raymond has value because as a character he doesn't really value people in general let alone people with disabilities as susanna has pointed out you use everybody but charlie has already told this story that he remembered this one figure in his life who was nice to him as a child the rain man used to come and sing to him when he was scared and so now it turns out that, you know, that Rain Man turns out that it might be this annoying and difficult and really inconvenient person that he's been dealing with mm-hmm. on this trip. And to this, it, I thought it was very well done. This is kind of a subtle idea. It's difficult to get across in a movie, all this sort of internal pondering and change. But mm-hmm. uh, Tom Cruise does a very nice job. And of course, Dustin Hoffman does a great job. But his character is static. He doesn't, in a way, this is actually, yeah, you really, there were probably some debates about which one of them should have got the best, uh, the best actor award. Um, Dustin Hoffman's performance is amazing. Um, Tom Cruise's performance actually requires more change uh, over the course of the movie. Um, but anyway, so this is the, the first th- time when he starts to think maybe this disabled person, this inconvenient person is actually, you know, has real value, uh, that this is actually the one person that he remembers fondly. Um, and then uh, just a moment later, 
Charlie's pouring hot water into the bath and Ray freaks out saying hot water, burn baby, hot water, burn baby. And Charlie realizes that the reason Ray was put into a home was because they were worried. His, his dad was worried that Raymond would hurt Charlie. And uh, so suddenly, you know, Charlie feels a little responsible for uh, how Ray has ended up. Um, and I want to give a little digression um, to where this story came from. So screenplay is written by Barry Morrow and some other guy. Um, but I get the sense that primarily the story came from Barry Morrow because um, the character of Raymond is based on two real people. Uh, and those people were Bill Sachter and Kim Peek, both of whom had disabilities. Um, and so they were, they were the real Rain Man. Uh, and Bill Sachter uh, was an intellectually disabled man that with whom Barry Morrow, the screenwriter, formed a friendship. Formed a friendship. Um, and Bill Sachter's story was somewhat similar to Ray Babbitt. In 1920, Bill Sachter, at the age of seven, was given an intelligence test by the state of Minnesota, and he was labeled subnormal. And he was put into an institution for 44 years, where he never saw any member of his family again. Mm. And in so later on, 1964, so he's now 51 years old, treatment for the mentally ill and disabled is advancing, and he was moved to a halfway house, and he started taking odd jobs. He was working as a handyman at a club where Barry Morrow, the screenwriter, met him. And Barry Morrow became friends with him, and eventually Barry Morrow became Bill Sachter's guardian, became his legal guardian. Oh, and when wow. Morrow took a job at the University of Iowa, he brought Bill Sachter with him, and Bill Sachter ended up running a coffee shop on the campus of uh, the University of Iowa, and he became a very important and popular figure in the community. And um, so, and then there were two movies made about Bill Sachter, which I would love to get a chance to watch. Uh, two movies, 1981 and 1983, and then a, a further a documentary in 2008. And uh, kind of the point, I saw some clips of the documentary, and they attempt to point out how with the right kind of help, this disabled man was able to contribute a lot to the world and to his local community. And he even became kind of a national figure that helped to change people's perceptions of people with disabilities. Anyway, um, so I always like to look for what's the motivation where these stories come from. And so clearly Barry Morrow was, I think, motivated for all the right reasons. He had this experience with a disabled person, it really changed his view of disabled people. And, um, and so he wanted to kind of present that. Um, and I think this scene in the movies, I take it as sort of a microcosm of, of all that with this selfish character first confronting the possibility that maybe he's been wrong. Maybe the person in front of him has value. And in fact, maybe a lot of people have value. And so Charlie Babbitt here is realizing that maybe he's the one that's been guilty of, of not of not properly dealing with people. So I thought that that story about, you know, the real, did, were you aware of the, that, that the character of Rain Man was based on? Uh, uh, I was people? just um, trying to pull some things together from notes. Uh, I think I saw, like, uh, like you said, uh, they were com maybe a combination of a couple people or Marrow's life or somebody in Marrow's life. Uh, yeah, and the other on... guy, Kim Peek, I believe, was the savant, uh, had all kinds of abilities. Oh, okay. And, and then Barry Morrow kind of put them together. I think he might have been better off not doing that, but it made a more interesting movie, I guess, because mm -hmm. 
probably may, maybe one of the motivations for doing that. But this was a, a personal story for the the screenwriter um, who kind of who lived out a version of this. Yeah, I um going going back to the scene itself. I I was actually going to pick one of these as mine too. But like you said, it's I think it's the big the moment of change for Charlie when he realizes that this. Uh, who he referred to as an imaginary friend, um, the Rain Man. You know, he just didn't exist. He went away. He grew up. Uh, you know, Charlie grew up. You know, uh, and Rain Man didn't exist. But come to find out that that uh, Raymond was actually, you know, the Rain Man. And uh, you being the Beatles fan, the song that they sang. Uh, she was just seventeen. Yes. Yeah, saw uh, saw her standing there. Yep, yeah. uh, <laughs> that was uh, that was an interesting one. When he said, "Like, what was the song? What was the song?" I was thinking like a lullaby. I was thinking all this stuff. Yeah. That was the, maybe one of the last songs that would have been on my list to pick. That that was what he was singing. But um, yeah, it was a sweet moment. So, do you think there was actually an incident where Charlie got burned in a bathtub? It certainly seems like that's kind of what it implied because it was so significant of a of an alarm for Raymond. Yeah, either there was an incident or there was almost an incident, and yeah. probably his dad. It sounds like his dad lost his temper. Yeah, and, and that's what actually you know drove him to to put him away. Yeah, but it was such a you know such a sweet moment because um, I think uh, Raymond. You heard him faintly saying like. Uh, never heard charlie babbitt or something like that yeah so it, it was a little bit of uh i guess the best connection you could get uh from raymond's point uh point yeah. of uh, perspective uh from from his character as far as charlie was concerned so maybe that helped kind of move him because he was finally connecting with him or, or so he thought but yeah when we get to uh towards the end of the movie was there anything else that you had to say up until well, this you... point you mentioned the uh, the Beatles song, and it yeah. just so happens that one of the things, somehow that didn't strike me as odd. Well, I did it first, but that's one of the things that my son does is mm -hmm. random songs that he hasn't heard. Oh wow! However long, <laughs> it's just now he's only ten, so you know they can only go back so far. But that's uh, you know they just come out in. Uh, situate you know, just some random uh songs that have no bearing on the current situation and he just starts singing them oh uh, wow so so that made sense to me that that uh he just that raymond you know who can't understand the significance of a of a, a lullaby versus mm -hmm. you know whatever he just picks a song like, i know a song it's when she was just 17 by the beatles mm -hmm. or i saw her standing there by the beatles and sometimes that happens, uh, even for non-autistic people, if you find yourself in a situation where, you yes. know, if you have to calm somebody down, calm a child down or, or, or whatever, you just might yeah. come up with the first thing that's on the top of your head. And maybe it was the last thing you heard on the radio or there maybe was it's a, a Christmas song in the summer, you know, <laughs> it's just, there was a friend's episode where it doesn't one of the characters decides to sing baby got back to one of the, <laughs> the as a lullaby to a small child oh so it's yeah so it's it's not just an autistic <laughs> thing but it, it, that particular scene it, it connected <laughs> made me think of my son yeah i just had to smile though because i know you're a beatles fan so when yeah. i heard that i was like oh i'm gonna have to make sure i ask him ask andy that he remembers what song that was sure 
so moving on, uh, actually, my last scene is uh, kind of the same as yours. So we'll just oh, kind okay. of like, uh, you know, compile it all together and and dive into it. But um, okay. I'll start us off since you just did the bulk of the talking about that last one. Yeah. And I'll try not to take too uh, too many of your points away here. But no, I just uh, kind of wanted to jump to the uh, the end, uh, the uh, hearing that they have when they finally get to Los Angeles. Um, at this point, we say, you know, Charlie is... Uh, you know he's he's fully changed I, I guess you could say he's fully changed uh he's he's very used to raymond he wants raymond to be with him uh and no longer just for the money i think at this point he has a bond with raymond you know he cares for him and he wants to be able to take care of him too because it's 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 family at this point because of a lot of the moments that we just talked about but you know he had there's actually a little moment before where dr bruner uh, I think it's the night before, maybe. Dr. Bruner actually offers uh, Charlie money. I think $250,000 just to walk away. Uh, and Charlie turns it down, you know, and sa- and says, I'll, you know, I'll see you in court. <laughs> you know, I don't have it word for word, but he says, but, but, but basically it's, you know, he, he found he found family this week. He, he bonded with his brother over the seven over the seven days, at least as far as Charlie's concerned. So. Uh, when they're sitting there and the doctor who I believe is a psychiatrist, uh, yeah. I think who, who's holding the hearing, um, you know, goes through his, and asks his questions. And, and, uh, again, I, I want you to be able to talk about this as well, so I won't get too much into it, but it's just, um, you know, it's that aha moment for, uh, for Charlie when he realizes that, yes, he wants his brother with him. But I think he ends up realizing what's best for his brother in this situation, and he ends up backing off what he wants. And plus, there was that incident earlier in the day too with uh, the Eggo waffles and the fire. St- there was the fire starting and everything. Well, not a fire, but you know the to- toast yeah. oven was smoking fire and everything alarm. and fire alarm. And, yeah, up. fire alarm. So I don't know how much that had to play with with Charlie. You know, maybe thinking he finally got him home, and this happened at home. So I don't know how much that might had to play in Charlie's mind, if uh, you know he had any doubts or anything, if he he even could take care of him. But I think he felt that um, he would get better care at um, uh, Wal- Walbrook. Walbrook, yeah, Walbrook. Walbrook He'd indeed. get better care at Walbrook, and and plus he didn't want to put through. Uh, put Ray Raymond through uh, a whole trial and everything, but um, I'll let you start chiming in and some of the points that you have. Well, one of the things that you were talking about, the significance of the fire alarm going off. I mean, I, I think again, that goes back to this deceptive thing about autism. Mm-hmm. You can start to think that everything is okay. This person is doing fine. Um, but Again, as Dr. Bruner said very early, you don't understand Mm -hmm. the degree of Raymond's disability. Everything goes fine as long as it has been set up correctly and they know what to expect. And, you know, the situation is sort of carefully laid out. But then when something unusual happens, as, as happens with the fire alarm going off, he has no point of reference for how to respond to that. And so he completely freaks out. And, and it's a, a very a pretty traumatic and dangerous experience uh, for Ray. Um, 
as you said, the uh, the meeting takes place and it's clear that the transformation of Charlie Babbitt is complete. And there's a couple of quotes that kind of reveal that. First of all, I didn't really like the, the doctor, the new doctor that was there. He seemed to be pretty passive aggressive as far as talking over uh, Charlie Babbitt. Uh, like yeah, um, asking questions in an incriminating having never way. having never having to sit through anything like that. I don't know if that's how they would actually be, but I, I guess it's just how how the actor was was directed to play that. Uh, he didn't seem mean or nasty, but like you said, very very passive aggressive. Yeah, kind of so, straightforward. Um, but then you also have to see how uh, how Charlie Babbitt is as well. Very defensive. Uh, yes Uh, (laughs) i think from the beginning of the movie we saw that a little bit um you know when he was meeting with the uh uh the lawyer to go over the will and then and then also uh at this point yeah very very defensive (laughs) and and yet he uh is i mean his his heart change is revealed in a couple of quotes that the doctor announces the purpose of this meeting is to determine what is best for Raymond, whether or not he is capable of functioning in the community and what, in fact, he wants, if that's possible to determine. And Charlie, who has already, as we've talked about, has already been having some conflict with the guy, uh, with the guy in charge, responds by saying, I'm all for that. So it, it makes it clear that, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about what's best for Raymond. Um and then Dr. Bruner interjects, Raymond's unable to make those kinds of decisions. Charlie argues with him. And then there's this key, no, there's another great exchange where the the new doctor says, Ray, do you want to stay here with Charlie Babbitt? And Ray says, yeah. Do you want to stay here? With, you want to stay here in LA with your brother? Yeah. Let me ask you this. Do you want to go back to Walbrook? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, do you want to go to back to Walbrook, Charlie? Sorry, do you want to go back to Walbrook, Ray? Yeah. And it becomes clear that, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean, yeah, it doesn't mean he's heard the question, thought about the question. It's mm-hmm. just a verbal tick that yeah. he uses to get through a conversation because he knows, you know, like questions are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And if he says, yeah, the nine times out of 10, that ends the the interaction. But it is a different, res- and again, not to get into the whole autism and 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 how the the brain may work or anything but it is different than his typical i don't know response when it actually comes to a question that he doesn't he he probably legitimately doesn't know yeah doesn't understand um and again i don't know It, it, it just i could be reading too much into it but i know that a lot of times when someone asked him a difficult question it would be i don't know you're right uh, yeah um yeah, I don't. I don't know exactly the the difference. I mean, it could be in based in the situation, mm-hmm. based on how he's feeling, based on how the questions are phrased, which way he thinks is going to get him out of that. Mm-hmm. It seems like when he says "I don't know," it seems like the discomfort is greater. Mm-hmm. What he really means is, "Stop asking me. Stop asking me. I don't. I'm like I. I I'm not. I'm not enjoying this mm-hmm. interaction. Right. Um, so I don't know exactly what what causes the difference between yeah or I don't know, but in either case, it certainly seems like he's not actually processing the question. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and at that point, again, so Charlie does something that up until now is way out of character. He admits that he's wrong, mm-hmm. and then he uh, 
the doctor, here's where the doctor's again acting a little bit like a jerk and, and starts asking the questions over and over again and says, those are two different things, Raymond. Yeah, he, I would say. Like, and he, then uh, he should Charlie know that he's says, pushing, he's pushing Raymond like over a limit. I right. Think. And Charlie says, okay, stop it. You made your point. You don't have to humiliate him. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So Charlie sticks up for his brother, which, you know, is it's all very clearly and, and well done. And then the, the two doctors leave the room and they have this nice scene where Charlie, just to make it totally clear that he's not performing, he's not, you know, pretending for the doctors. The doctors leave the room and Charlie still wants to let Raymond know that everything's okay. Nobody's going to ask you any more questions. Everything's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's it, the cool thing again about this scene is it's very convincingly acted. You can see, you know, scenes like these that involve these, you know, heart changes uh, for characters. They can be very easily overdone, done in a cheesy way that isn't believable or that is melodramatic. But uh, these guys handle it great. It's uh, Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman are uh, putting on a little acting clinic, I think, in, in this scene, they, and they do a great job. And it's it it's not overacted it's subtle but also clear and powerful mm-hmm. yeah and it's just it's the full the, the story arc and character arc of charlie it goes from you know him just you know thinking of himself and then kind of thinking of himself and his brother by saying he wants his brother with him and then he makes a very unselfish decision and doesn't you know, drag his brother through this any further. Yeah. And does what's best for his brother. So he goes from being fully selfish and fully self-centered to, I think, very being very selfless in the end, um, which it's full circle. It's a good story. And like you said, uh, Tom Cruise did a very, a very good job, but I don't think you could hold a candle to Dustin Hoffman. I don't think he, I don't think Tom Cruise had a prayer, okay. <laughs> you know, to what Dustin Hoffman uh, did for the length of the movie. Um as far yeah. as Oscars are concerned, I mean, you just want to sit here and say, yeah, they both did a great job. Then, then yeah, we'll both say that. But as I'd say, like, as far as the Oscar recognition and award recognition, uh, I definitely appreciate what Dustin Hoffman did. The end of the, uh, I thought the end of the movie was, was, was fitting. Uh, you know, you got Dustin Hoffman going back to Walbrook, um, making sure he had his cheese balls and his apple juice. Right. His who's on first video and his little TV. So he could catch Wapner because uh, <laughs> yeah. it's because again it was all about Wapner Wapner on in three minutes uh, and uh, you know Charlie just, said, and Charlie just saying you know you'll make it yeah you know it was just a good ending because because uh, he's gonna get the best care Raymond's gonna get the best care at Walbrook and um, you know it's not over Charlie has a brother he he says he'll see him in, in two weeks fourteen days however many hours, however many minutes <laughs> that Raymond yeah. rattles off. But um, I thought it was a sweet ending. Uh, yeah, you'd like them to stay together, but it's not it for them. They're going to have a relationship. Uh, at least, you know, Charlie will get what he needs to, out of, what he wants to out of the relationship, I would think. And I'm sure Ray in some way gets gets what he wants to. And Charlie has been changed. I mean, he's mm-hmm. benefited tremendously. And this is a point that I, I think is a major... Uh, sort of theme of the movie and something certainly that I heard about um, just this uh, before I actually had contact with a, you know, a, with my son with, who has a both a emotional has autism and also has a physical disability that um, I had heard people say that, you know, abil- that 
disabled people make us better. I've heard parents of children with disabilities say that, you know, we are better because of mm -hmm. my child. And to be perfectly honest, I always thought, well, isn't that charming that they've, you know, tried to convince themselves that mm -hmm. there's some kind of upside. Um, but it is actually accurate. And, and that's, I think, what's trying to be portrayed in this movie is that through contact with a disabled person, um, this main character has become a better person. And uh, that is a story that you'll hear of, you know, from parents with uh, children with disabilities, or maybe people that work in contact with people with disabilities on a regular basis, that they end up developing patience and empathy and uh, selflessness and, and other sorts of things that they never, to degrees that they never would have uh, if they hadn't been in contact with those people. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, so I think that's portrayed in a, a very, very, I don't know, pleasant, I would say, mm -hmm. <laughs> a very nice uh, feel-good yeah. sort of way. It's a feel-good movie because of that, and, and, it, and, it's, um, and I, it, there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. Oh, well, that's uh, that's good that you found that, uh, especially in your case. But yeah, I, I felt I felt it came full circle and I was very satisfied with uh, very satisfied with the ending. Did you have any other notes or was there anything else about the, you know, is there anything we didn't really uh, touch upon the movie um, that you wanted to bring up? Oh, hey, uh, you used to have a uh a section where you wanted to talk about what made it 80s and oh i i, I did let that i did drop that um because it seemed a bit repetitive and then you know when i encountered you know movies like blade runner or something that was futuristic okay. there wasn't anything and it was just kind of repetitive it, it was a fun it was a fun gag in the beginning, but maybe after like 10 episodes in, I, I dropped it. <laughs> so. there's, there's just a couple of great, am I allowed to mention? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> go so ahead. First of all, the very obvious, several obvious ones, the Watchman, right? I spent a couple hundred dollars on that little TV, the little, I mean, that was the height of technology and you're, it's going to cost a couple hundred dollars. So the Watchman, a little TV with a giant antenna. Uh, and then uh, also in that, in that ending scene uh charlie babbitt is wearing a dress shirt and it's got the top button buttoned but no tie on okay i, mean, I just remember that being in style for <laughs> pretty briefly um and then uh this was a little less obvious but it struck me at the time when they're fighting over the underwear when uh charlie's bought raymond you know, underwear and mm -hmm. Raymond, this is too tight. I, I only wear boxers. It's odd. It struck me as odd at first that the cool character is wearing tidy whiteies because, and, and it's the like socially clueless character that has the boxers because somewhere in the nineties, I don't know, in the process of being in a bunch of locker rooms after athletic practices, somewhere I absorbed the idea that whitey tighties were really uncool. <laughs> um, and I think that that's, you know, that everybody wears boxers was definitely the, the idea that I got. But back in the 80s, I guess that wasn't true. I guess, uh, you know, it was perfectly cool. Boxers were, I guess, were kind of a new thing. New? I don't know. But in any case, <laughs> the style definitely changed. That it, it Later on, shortly after this movie, Whitey Tidies became really uncool. But as of this movie, the, the cool guy wears tight underwear. <laughs> 80s. 
Yes. Well, there you go. You just brought that segment back. We'll just we'll just work that into uh, say that's one of your notes. <laughs> okay. So. Okay, I have uh, I have something here. Uh, let's see. Just a couple of like, did you know kind of quirky facts about the movie. Um, Dustin Hoffman suffered injuries to his hand while shooting the scene of the nighttime car accident. Shooting was suspended for several hours while he was transported to a local Kentucky hospital to remove a piece of glass from his hand and get stitches. The reason for the accident is he was telling a joke to the crew between scenes that required him to run as a part of the joke. He slipped and cut his hand on the glass from the scene. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I find it sort of surprising. It must have been weird on the set when he would slip in and out of the Rain Man character. I, I would have thought he would try to stay in that character. For you would think, but maybe, I don't know, maybe that was Fair an enough. instance where he didn't. He didn't yeah. need to. Like you said, he was already a, a well-versed actor yeah. in many different genres, so maybe he didn't have to do that. He could just turn it off and on whenever yeah. he needed. Uh, did you have something you want to, uh, another thing you wanted to say? No, I, I, uh, I spent Oh, you already worked in your notes? stuff. Uh, I think that's uh, all I had was the '80s stuff, right? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I will. I see something here, other under other notes, but maybe you you probably slipped that into. Did, oh, I did put that in. Yes, you worked, already. You worked yeah. that. You worked that in somewhere. Yes, you worked that in somewhere. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, a couple things here, but I know we're running long, so I won't take too much time. Uh, the character of Charlie Babbitt was originally written as a 56-year-old. Oh, that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I was wondering about the age difference because I know there was some talk in the beginning when they were at Walbrook. Uh, the doctor started at nineteen sixty at Walbrook, and uh, no, wait, that doesn't work because if Raymond was, he said, thought he said Raymond was there when he got there in nineteen sixty, but he was like eighteen. But Charlie was born in like I think sixty five or something. I don't know. Anyway, I won't dive too much into the math, but I'm think I'm anyway. I know I know there was probably a pretty significant age between the two of them, maybe. Yeah. There was. Oh, this is kind of a little bit what you talked about. Uh Dustin Hoffman spent a lot of time with the savant Kim Peek. That yeah. was one of the people you mentioned. Uh the inspiration for the character of uh Raymond Rain Man, writer Barry Marrow, first met Peak in nineteen eighty six. Now you also mentioned there was another inspiration. Um yeah. uh, Stackler? Sackler? Yeah, I forget the Bill Sactor. Sactor. Barry Marrow first met Peak in nineteen eighty six on an uh on winning an Oscar for the screenplay for this movie in nineteen eighty nine. Gave his Oscar trophy to Kim Peak. Oh, that's interesting. Hoffman made uh, Kim's father the main caregiver, which you said, I think, right? Wait. No, that's talking about Sactor, the screenwriter. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry, because it can be. Hoffman made Kim's father the main caregiver, a promise. Oh, okay. His father was the main caregiver. Okay, I got you. A promise that he would share Kim with the world. For nearly 20 years until his death, Kim Peek went all over the world, impressing people with his incredible memory and ability to recall minute details from centuries of history. So this is more about Peek, and um, but you mentioned those other uh, documentaries were about uh, Sactor. Sactor, I think. And I think um, that's where you get I – mean, Kim Peek was the savant – and Bill Sactor was more autistic. I don't think he was a savant. 
and I, I think then they got he put them both together. Hmm. To yeah, form yeah, he Rain put Man. the two together, right? Originally, Martin Brest, Bill Murray, and Dustin Hoffman were simultaneously given offers as director and talent, respectively. Though it was intended for Bill Murray to play Raymond, Dustin wanted that role after reading the script. Bill never read the script. Well, that's interesting. I guess Bill oh, Murray that's... would have been okay, okay at that, maybe. I don't know. He was definitely more of a comedic actor and a comedic Although, background. every once in a while he wanted to do, um, wasn't there, The Eye of the Needle, that he was all very, it, I read a little bit about Bill Murray. It, it, that was more of a serious movie. He was into serious movies. Well, it's so funny because, and again, we just re- recorded this the other day but it's the next episode which spoiler which i'm going to tease later but uh dead poet society i think uh in one of my notes for that it was bill murray was uh considered uh, okay. for the um robin williams role okay which again i think i my response was i couldn't see that but it's interesting because now that i'm <laughs> we're talking about this and you're saying he really wanted to try to do more serious things yeah. um I guess at this point in his career, he didn't. And he settled for, uh, what, like, what about Bob, right? (laughs) Yeah. But that was still more of a comedy. Originally, Dustin Hoffman was supposed to play Charlie, but he wanted to play Raymond. Uh, Raymond was also supposed to be mentally disabled, but Hoffman changed it to an autistic savant. Oh. So maybe Bill Sachter was more mentally... I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I might have to... No, 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 no. no, no, no. It's I... okay. You know what? And and not saying that my notes are, you know, any different than yours. Uh, or I not any just, different, um... but my notes are, are, are more uh, correct than yours. Uh, it's just... Our, I... we, we use different sources. So, you know, I'm pulling mine off of... Uh, uh, the 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 Amazon Prime trivia. <laughs> I just want to again give sort of a disclaimer because some people, for understandable reasons, can get pretty upset if you mix up information regarding different sorts of disabilities. And I just want to give a disclaimer again that, you know, I, I apologize if I've gotten any of the details wrong. Um, yeah, we did. No, don't no, don't don't worry about it. It's it's fine. We're just this is just. It's an entertainment podcast. I know you're. I know you. I, I know we take it very seriously, but I'm, I'm sure everything's going to be fine. Uh, like I said, I who knows uh, what credit, what more credibility from your sources and from my sources right here. I'll just do one more, and then we got to move on because it's uh, we're actually running pretty long here. So, you know what? No, I'm going to be done. Okay, that's it. So let's head on to quotes. Yay! I have two. You have two. a bunch of stuff. Two, but one is two. Yeah, I have oh, two. Oh, okay. All right. Um, one is longer. Okay. Um, then I will go first then. Uh, mine's pretty simple. Kmart sucks, Kmart uh, sucks. which both <laughs> Charlie says, and then Raymond says at the end, and then Charlie says, like, oh, you you made a joke, uh, and which got a little chuckle from Raymond. I thought that was pretty sweet when that happened. Um how about uh, how about you? What do you got? So just uh, when Susanna asks after kissing Ray, how was that? And Ray answered, "Wet." It just was a good comedy moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. It was wet. <laughs> it was wet. Uh, my next one uh, is in the beginning when he's when Charlie's sitting with the lawyer, uh, reading the will, and he, you know he got the news that he gets the car. 
<laughs> and he gets the rose bushes, but uh, the three million goes to a trustee, and he says, "Oh, the, the beneficiary. This, he he got three million dollars, but he can get the rose bushes. I got the rose bushes. I definitely got the rose bushes." <laughs> just the way Tom Cruise delivered that, it was just yeah. the the sarcastic yet serious. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, he delivered it so well um, when he was when he was saying that. I just uh, we, I gotta we kick can it talk. Up more about the character of charlie babbitt i mean the like the sort of young hustler in the mm-hmm. the um, that blurry line between like i don't know trying to make it in business and then like are you willing to fudge the truth or are you willing to out outright lie and clearly he's on the wrong side of the line uh you know he's like begging people for more time and just making stuff up about how to save his business but mm-hmm. yeah that's his his attitude um I got the rose bushes. I definitely got the rose bushes. <laughs> uh, so the other exchange that we mentioned a couple of times, uh, Susanna yelling at Charlie, you used me, you used Raymond, you used everybody. Using Raymond? Hey, Raymond, am I using you? Am I using you, Raymond? And Raymond says, yeah. <laughs> and Charlie says, shut up. He is answering a question from a half hour ago. I love that, too. I was going to put that in for one of mine. I'm like, oh, Andy got it already. So that was yeah. that was pretty funny. Again, that, that, you know, the, the yeah doesn't mm-hmm. mean yeah at all. It means, like, I'd like this conversation to be over. So it seems like yeah is the response that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because he's in a situation where he's already nervous. Yeah. So he's just, just make it go away. That. Yeah. The uh, the Kmart sucks. I've actually, I mean, people still say that. People still quote that from this movie. I have found myself using the phrase Kmart sucks. And For whatever, Kmarts are still around. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, in a couple years, you know, whatever, 10 years, someone will probably be saying, what's Kmart? <laughs> are they are they in that bad shape? Are they disappearing? I mean, I don't or? know. Obviously, they could still be prominent somewhere. Uh, but I know because they're with Sears. And I know bo- uh, both of those companies, they were in trouble years ago, and then they just started closing their closing their stores. Uh, well, we know locally we lost ours, um, and then it seems like anywhere else I go where there used to be a Kmart, it's now something else. So, wow, well, I, I wasn't. Know. Yeah, I don't know how I don't know how many Kmart's they're still around, but uh, I wonder if they had a big problem when suddenly. You know, there was a very famous movie quote, the best picture. <laughs> oh, was- I don't know, because I still think they were doing well in the 90s. I just think the, you know, not to, not, not to turn a retail business into a retail business podcast. But I'm thinking the Walmarts and the Targets just, they they offered just so much more than Kmart could. Although I do miss my little local Kmart, because it was a good place to run if you just needed whatever, this and that. Um gifts for birthday parties and stuff that was a good go-to if the kids had to go to a birthday party let's go where do we go get legos oh up there at the kmart (laughs) and get a nice 15 dollar lego set for a birthday party uh but anyway um you had something else last one or no that's it you already worked that in oh you worked that in okay Let's fly through the where are they now here um barry levinson continued being a successful being, excuse me, continue being successful in Hollywood writing, directing, and producing as well. A few notable films include Avalon, Bugsy, Toys, Disclosure, Sleepers, Wag the Dog, Sphere, Man of the Year, What Just Happened, and the TV movie Paterno, just to name a few of them. In 22, he is credited for directing two episodes of The Calling, which I believe is a uh, Peacock series, I think. I, I had not heard of it. 
so for Dustin Hoffman, this was I would looking at his filmography. This is sort of the beginning of the downside of his career. He still had, he's definitely kept making movies, uh, but this was his sixth nomination for Best Actor. He had one more after this. Nine years later, in uh, nineteen ninety eight, he was nominated for Best Actor for his role in Wag the Dog. Oh, with Levinson again? How about that? He uh, was also <laughs> nominated. I didn't realize that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so he was also nominated for a Tony Award for his work on the stage in Merchant of Venice in 1990. That's uh, a couple, so it been right after Rain Man. Um, there was, I forget when it was, I didn't even mention it. He played uh, the lead and won an award for his performance in Death of a Salesman, I think hmm. sometime in the late 80s or 90s. I forget whether it was before or after this movie. But so he's been on the stage, he's been uh, in movies. Um, consistently for, let's see, 67, for I guess 55 years now. Um, his output has slowed down a little, but he continues to make movies. He was in Dick Tracy in 1990, Hook in 1991, Meet the Fockers in 2004. Uh, that's the, you know, uh, and that makes me think a little bit less of him, clearly. That <laughs> clearly is, I don't yeah, really I love mean Meet that. the Parents. I was not a fan of the Meet the Fockers. Right. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> My take on that whole series, I was like, you know what? That joke was not even that funny the first time around. <laughs> they want me to laugh at it like 20 times. Right. So, yeah. So I got a lot. Um, he was also in the Kung Fu Panda series. So he's done a lot of silly things. He keeps being in movies. But his sort of golden age of winning mm-hmm. Best Actor Awards has ended. And I guess he's got nothing. To, he does, has no need to prove anything to anybody by this point in his career. Um, interestingly, he was in an episode of The Simpsons in 1991. He was Lisa's substitute teacher. <laughs> I remember that episode. Uh, I did not pick out his voice, but I remember when uh, Lisa got a substitute teacher and it like was some life-changing experience for Lisa. Um, so he was on The Simpsons, did a lot of fun things like that, Kung Fu Panda. Uh his last appearance was in a movie called Sam and Kate, which was released this year. So uh, he's still acting. Yeah, all right. Um, I enjoyed seeing him in Outbreak, uh, which you didn't mention. That was a late 90s movie. Uh, that was okay. a good movie. And uh, I just noticed um, he was in Sphere as well, uh, which was also a Levinson. So Levinson worked with him quite a bit uh, okay. afterwards. Probably some of these other movies that I mentioned for Levinson might even be a, a Dustin Hoffman one too, but I'm just not familiar with them. Um, okay, moving on. Tom Cruise, of course, continued his successful career as an actor with many films. He had A Few Good Men, Interview with a Vampire, The Whole Mission Impossible franchise, and Jack Reacher. Uh, Cruise was nominated for Oscars for his work in Jerry Maguire, Magnolia, and Born on the Fourth of July. Uh, he did win Golden Globes for each of his roles as well. And, of course, he uh, he just recently reprised his role in 2022 uh, as Maverick in the Top Gun Maverick movie, which was really good, and I podcasted on it. Did you get to see that, Andy? Uh, I haven't. Oh, if you're a Top Gun fan, you would love Top Gun Maverick. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. I should give it a shot. Uh, yeah. Um, it's not one of those roll your eyes like, oh my gosh, this 60 something year old guy is going to do this. No, it, it was, it was a well done movie. 
so you get the sense um i mean they were just on opposite trajectories of their careers this was you know tom cruise just hitting stride with mm-hmm. this movie and this was well yeah and dustin hoffman started you know his yeah. peak started sooner yeah. uh like you mentioned earlier in the cast notes um and um, yeah but he's still you know still they're still around they're, 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 yeah he's still around as long as he's still around and working and you know gonna have uh probably someday get the lifetime achievement award i'm sure uh, i would imagine yeah <laughs> uh, uh and lastly we have valeria galino uh again it's an interesting filmography it says shortly after this she starred in hot shots the um the parody of top gun do you remember that yeah, i do and that's where i remember her from when i saw her i was like she was in hot shots <laughs> yes she was in that, and there was two of them. There was Hot Shots, and then Hot Shots Part Do. She is the girl in the famous scene where Charlie Sheen fries oh, eggs on her stomach. <laughs> <laughs> and you're cringing and looking away as I mentioned that. Uh, so, that was, I mean, it was funny at the time, but you're, it's one of those things that you're ashamed to like, yeah, I went yeah. to see that in the movie theater and paid money. <laughs> so... uh that's about as far as she got in Hollywood. So it's it, her work in film is two very different stories between what she did in America and what she did in Italy. Uh, here in America, she was in Rain Man. That's probably the most significant, serious thing she ever did here. Other than that, she was in that Pee Wee Herman movie, and then she was in Hot Shots, and that's it And for American films. However, in Italy, her list of films is a mile long, uh, there's two, there's one, two, sometimes three movies a year for every year, right up until 2020. And there's a bunch of awards, a bunch of Italian film awards. So she's a highly respected dramatic actress in Italy, but not here. <laughs> Do you remember, did you see Hot Shots? I you don't remember. If you somehow I saw Do you remember scene? her line in Hot Shots? Uh, it was, uh, what do you do with that? <laughs> I'm laughing no. as I say. What do you do with an elephant with three balls? No, I don't remember this. Walk him and pitch to the rhino. <laughs> I figure you'd appreciate that because you're a baseball <laughs> guy. <laughs> um, you think the joke's going one place, but yeah, right, that was right. that was that, that was one of the lines did, they had for. Did she like, delivered that line. <laughs> Sounds like a bad dad joke. All right, let's move on to At the Box Office. Uh, I mentioned it was released December 16th, 1988. Rain Man had an estimated budget of $25 million. It grossed $172.8 million in the U.S. and Canada, and over $354 million worldwide. It made a little over $7 million and finished second at the box office its first week. Can you guess what was number one that week, Andy? It was an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Was it the original Terminator? Ooh, no, that was a little bit earlier in the 80s. Oh, it was sorry. actually an Arnold Schwarzenegger comedy. With uh, Wait a, a minute, famous... Twins? Yes, twins? yes, <laughs> Twins was first that week. <laughs> yeah, Arnold and Danny DeVito. I certainly remember, I did not see that movie. I remember it being out. <laughs> Yeah, but then Rain Man, give it give it another week or so, uh, and it would take over the box office. And uh, I actually didn't jot down where it, uh, where it finished. Um, well, it came in late in 1988, so I don't know where it finished. 
I guess it would be considered for 1989 as far as high engrossing highest uh, film where it went on the list. But anyway, still very successful movie. Os- what, what's that? Did it win the Oscar then in 88 or 89? It won in 89. Okay. That's okay. That's right. So probably what happened was, you know, when the Oscar nominations go out in whatever, January, February or something, whenever it did of that year, then probably everybody then went to see it. So it probably didn't make too much in 88, but then I don't don't know how that works out. I don't know if it's money that it makes in 89 is counted towards 88. I don't know how that works out. All right, moving on to listener feedback. I have one bit from Facebook. Uh, This is from Seth. Seth writes, Great soundtrack. Tom Cruise coming into his own as a great actor. Dustin Hoffman was brilliant as well. Fun fact, Dustin's performance beat out what would have been Tom Hanks' first Oscar, but he would have to wait until the 90s for Philadelphia and Forrest Gump. Uh, Thanks for writing in, Seth. Um, What would Tom Hanks' movie in 89 have been? Oh, Sleepless in Seattle? I don't know. Uh, Should I look it up? So shouldn't oh, well, be that hard. It's okay. I, I, um, yeah. Well, so he beat out Tom Hanks. That would have been. Uh, I guess Tom Hanks was also nominated, and that would have been his first Oscar. My gut's telling me Sleepless in Seattle. Well, it's certainly not Turner and Hooch. That was nineteen eighty nine. It doesn't seem like. You know, um, I was gonna guess this. I figured out what it was. I was gonna guess, and uh, it didn't. Uh, it seemed too silly. He was nominated for Big. Was Big in 80? Oh, Big was in 88. Okay. All right. Okay. See, at first, I I think my mind was thinking 89, and I was thinking, no, Big was before then. But no, yeah, Big, and that makes sense. Yeah, it says it was nominated in 89. I don't know whether the movie itself came out in uh, 88 or 89. All right, and thanks, uh, Seth, for uh, writing in. Really appreciate it. We'll let you guys know here in a minute how you can send in feedback like Seth did for all future episodes. We're going to jump right into our closing and send-off. It's time to bring things to a close, so reminder to please rate and review the podcast to help us grow. The more ratings and reviews the podcast has, the higher we get up on the search list, so please do so if you haven't. It would be greatly appreciated. And if you would like to recommend us to any of your 80s-loving friends, we're on Apple and Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Audible, pretty much everywhere you listen to podcasts. And check out the full list on www.watchitinthe80spodcast.com. Also, if you want to provide feedback, you can do that a few ways. You can email us at watchitinthe80spodcast at gmail.com. You can either send a written email or make a recording and send the file right to us, and I will pop it in. Uh, you can follow us also on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Washed It in the 80s Podcast, and on Twitter at WIIT80S Podcast. Don't forget to check out the Run for Your Lives podcast on the Pirate Core Entertainment Network. They are currently on a break until early December, but check them out after that or before then. Uh, yeah, check out their uh, uh, check out what they've done already. They have over a hundred episodes. Uh, good for them. Oh, plenty to do before. Uh... Oh yeah. Anyway, uh, you have some time to get caught up in a couple of weeks here. And also on the Pirate Core Entertainment Network, Mark over at Adrenaline Cinema. 
Uh, he should have Speed coming out with Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves. And he covered that with Kelly, who is actually going to be my next guest. And do do, also, Jack? I. What do I'm you sorry. do? What do you do, Jack? What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> And also, um, coming up, uh, he has uh, Jason X that he recorded with Jamie, one of uh, my regular co-hosts as well. So look for uh, look for those coming out. And as far as next up for watching in the 80s, uh, episode 33, uh, Kelly is going to be joining me, and we are talking Dead Poets Society from 1989, starring Robin Williams. And, uh, you know, young Ethan Hawke, very young Ethan Hawke, uh, a couple other very, very young, talented actors. We just recorded it uh, a few days ago, and it was a lot of fun diving into that. You guys, uh, you guys should check that out. Andy, thanks again for coming back. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. This was a lot of fun talking about this. Uh, great movie, Academy Award winning movie. It seems like I... Well, we did Blade Runner, but it seems like I, I only bring you in for Academy Award winning movies, I think. Because um, we also did uh, Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire, which that won the Academy Award, right? Yes. Uh, and then so. the other one was The Abyss, but uh, which did not order. Not, but, but No, but that was special in its own right for its yeah. special effects. Uh, yeah, and Blade Runner kind of is actually later and, on has and, more critical acclaim than than any of the other ones we mentioned. Actually, yeah, true. Blade, Blade yeah. Runner actually holds, uh, you know, is held in high regard uh, for many different reasons. That's um, on the list of best movies of hundred best movies of all. Hey, time. as far as science fiction goes, my goodness, that that's up yeah. there on my list. I really, uh, I really enjoyed watching that. So, uh, yeah, I bring you in for all the biggies. It seems like. Thank you. Yes, and I think uh, next one we're doing hot shots. So <laughs> no, just no, just you know kidding. <laughs> can, can I can I tell you what I would like to do next? Uh, maybe uh, is um, I'm thinking Raging Bull. You'd like to do Raging Bull? Okay, that'll probably come up after the holidays. But uh, yeah, we can get something. We can It'll get something be, together um, and do that. that- that's listed number four as the fourth best movie of all time, according to the American Fil- Film Institute, behind only, let's see if I can mention, uh, if I can name them, um, Citizen Kane, The Godfather, and Casablanca, and then number four is Raging Bull. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so wow. I, I've never seen it, so I, I, hope it's as good, I hope it's as good as that. No pressure whatsoever. <laughs> we will not screw up that podcast. Um <laughs> But hey, thanks for coming, and yeah, definitely, next time you'll be back, whenever it may be, we'll talk some Raging Bull. Everyone look out for the teaser posts for that, probably after Christmas and New Year's. Thanks for listening to Watch It in the 80s, and I hope you enjoyed us covering Rain Man. I'm Damien. And I'm Andy. And until next time, remember, you watched it in the 80s, and you can watch it now. Wapner in 10 minutes. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>